Hello and welcome to episode 65 of React Native Radio. I'm your host, Nader Davitt. Today on our panel, we have Peter Pykarczyk. Hey, everybody. Kevin Old. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is Adam Perry from Expo. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We've been um, really wanting to have someone from Expo back on. We've kind of talked to Brent and you a few times over the last couple of months. And I know like when we first started this podcast, our second guest ever at the time was Exponent, which is now Expo. So you guys have been like longtime supporters of the show. And we really appreciate coming back on with us again to kind of talk about what's happened, I guess, over the last really two years since we've had you on or someone from your company on last. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been around quite that long, but I know a little bit of the history and I'm happy to to, to talk about what's happening. I think it's an exciting time for, for React Native and for Expo. So before we kind of get into the topic, uh, we usually like to kind of ask our guests like how they got into programming and what led them to their current role and, um, and what they're specializing in. So yeah, so can you kind of talk about how you got into programming and what led you in your career to kind of come to work with React Native and then finally uh, get an opportunity to work with Expo? Yeah, so the... The long version of the story is a little too long because it's a lot of false starts. I am kind of in a weird place as a developer these days. Uh, I don't have a degree in CS, although I did finish, you know, a bunch of a CS degree and uh, a bunch of a software engineering degree. And uh, I've done a bunch of open source work as well. But learning to program for me has kind of been a haphazard process with a lot of false starts. And... Um, a few years ago, I decided, though, that, you know, I was working a job in IT and basically found myself writing code to solve problems that I was expected to do manually and realized, you know, if this is what I'm doing all day in order to avoid the job that I'm supposed to be doing, you know, maybe I should just go write code full time. And uh, this was after having finished part of a CS degree at one point. And so a couple years ago, I got a full time job working on like research computing. So like high performance genomics stuff actually. And then last fall, I was kind of interested in being part of a bigger team. I was mostly by myself or working with very small groups before and working on things that were a little more like directly relevant to people day to day. And so I did some looking around and uh, was put in touch with the folks here at Expo. And, you know, a number of things really clicked for me. For one, I think, you know, I, even though I was working on like scientific computing and things like that, I knew about React Native and was pretty excited by kind of the approach it takes to these cross-platform development problems, as well as like just the enabling such, you know, a nice developer experience and, and speed of iteration. You know, even though I didn't have a background in mobile applications, that was really exciting to me. And also something really resonated for me with Expo was, you know, that I kind of saw the potential to to build tools that let people get closer to the web that I grew up with. You know, the web of the 90s is not likely to come back anytime soon. You know, uh, I still remember putting like my first GeoCities site up with data that was uh, almost certainly like just copied straight from some strategy guide. I mean, I was, you know, I was a little kid, but that was a pretty magical being able to like put that out into the world. And similarly, I saw, you know, this kind of flash era that is now kind of a bygone era a little bit where it was just so accessible to, to people who didn't have a lot of resources or experience to build interesting things. And while I think, 
that the web still has many of these elements, the availability of that kind of, of that beginner experience and the ability to just like use technology as a means of self-expression and to share things with friends that you built. It's a lot harder to do on the mobile web, I think, because of just the, what the web has grown to be in terms of an application platform matched with the hardware that's currently available to most people who don't have the latest iPhone, right? Uh, and that really clicked for me. I, despite having taken kind of a long and winding road to getting to program, remember very fondly spending time on message boards and, you know, random GeoCities sites and this kind of exploratory, individualistic kind of almost like democratic version of the web. And granted, you know, there's right now we're only, you know, solving a small part of that puzzle. But I do think there's something in line with that broader vision. I do think there's something really wonderful about providing low barrier to entry developer tools for people who don't have an expensive MacBook Pro or people who haven't, you know, bought the latest hardware and who might have, you know, like something on their parents' Windows machine. And so I really liked the idea of working on a project to make it really, really easy to have like React Native, which gives you all of these great performance characteristics for an interface that you don't get often on the mobile web or that not necessarily you don't get, but that are significantly harder to get on the mobile web with a lot of a lot of nice properties of the mobile web, right? This cross-platform stuff, the ease of development without having to like do this whole native code compilation. Uh, and so I really liked a lot of the things that the expo was, was aiming towards. And that was about a little over six months ago. And I've been doing this now for, for that period of time. And I've been really loving it. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of my history and, and what got me interested in, in what I'm doing right now. Wow. You covered a bunch of stuff that I think we want to talk about, but I guess another thing I kind of am interested in and, it's like, how did you kind of like get connected with the guys at Expo? Were you kind of contributing uh, to their open source or did you know one of them or did you kind of apply or how did, how did that all work? Oh, yeah. I don't think this is any secret, but I when I decided that I wanted to do something more consumer facing or not necessarily directly consumer facing, but more like that gets day to day use. I mean, when I was working on this research software and I, you know, I kind of knew two things. One was I wanted to be in an area where I could, you know, be more kind of a part of things. I was living in rural Arizona, which is where I grew up. And two, aside from wanting to just kind of be in a different location, I thought it would be really nice to be working on things that didn't have like a multiple year turnaround to become validated and published and then eventually used. And so I had seen this company TripleByte on Hacker News. And, you know, they do kind of recruiting for, at the time it was just YC companies. Um, and now they, I think they work with some, um, some bigger companies, but, uh, I like took their tests and interviewed with them and they flew me out to meet a few companies. And one of the people they put me in touch with was, was Expo and, uh, came here to, to meet everyone. And, uh, we really, I think hit it off and I really liked, like I said, what they were working on. So, um, it ended up working out like that. That's a really interesting story. I know you mentioned Y Combinator. If I remember reading correctly, are, are you all part of Y Combinator right now? Yeah. So before I joined Exponent at the time, now Expo went through uh, a YC batch in 2016. Um, but that finished up before I joined. Uh, okay. Okay. Got you. So I guess we're going to go into a lot of the stuff you talked about, uh, especially 
concerning kind of where Expo is and like what, what you all are doing there. But for anyone, I, I guess, listening that's never heard of Expo, even though I'm sure most of the people have, can you kind of just talk about like, I wouldn't say the mission statement, but maybe like what you all do, like the elevator pitch or what you all are kind of uh, are as a company? Yeah. So the elevator pitch is Expo is, to my knowledge, probably the easiest way to get started writing React Native applications for iOS and Android. Um, on top of it being really easy to get started, there are a number of things that Expo provides on top of React Native that make certain like cross-platform concerns really seamless for application developers. And so slightly more specifically, Expo has what we call a client app that's in the, the Play Store and the, the iTunes App Store. And this is like kind of like a shared native runtime for React Native applications. So if, if you're listening to React Native Radio, you're probably familiar with the fact that React Native applications kind of, they run JavaScript and then they have these like native bridges or bindings. And so the JavaScript can be viewed kind of separately from this whole native code base because they talk over this bridge. Um, and so essentially Expo provides uh, a ready-made native half of that equation for you to run your JavaScript in, right? Um, and this enables lots of really interesting things. For one thing, uh, we have readier access to native APIs than you would typically have writing JavaScript for the mobile web, right? It's React Native. It's uh, um, the core React Native APIs are available. And then we also have a number of cross-platform APIs that are part of the Expo client. Um, that you can can use to, for example, uh, use SQLite or OpenGL or GPS or um, the document picker, or the image picker for your platform. So Expo kind of attempts to, with these extra APIs, round out what React Native developers normally need when building an application. Um, and then we also have uh, several other elements of this that kind of provide this more cohesive development experience. So we have some Expo dev tools, um, this thing called XDE that you download to your computer, you sign up for an account, um, and you can develop on your physical phone using the Expo client app with XDE. They don't even have to be on the same network. Um, we also, you know, in collaboration with Facebook, designed this thing called Create React Native App, which doesn't need an account. And so it misses on a couple things, but it's like even easier to get started with. We also have a number of backend services that we run. So you have, uh, we have a push notification service that lets you send notifications to Expo apps that are either iPhone or Android. And this is all free, by the way, if you're, if you're listening. We have an FAQ about how we eventually intend to make money, but right now we don't charge for anything and we don't expect to charge for any of the things we currently offer. And then we also have um, another like service that we offer on our hosted platform is um, like publishing your JavaScript. So, you know, where we've seen this be really, really useful is like if you're a team and you're working on uh, a prototype or a proof of concept, you can publish the JavaScript for your Expo app up to our servers. Well, technically to S3, they're just served from CloudFront, but you can use our service for that. Um, and then you get like a stable URL that you can open in the Expo client and it opens like a URL would, um, you know, in like a browser, but it's, you know, your app, right? And um, that's, uh, it's really nice for kind of live editing and pushing changes up to let your team see them for collaborating. Um, there are several other pieces of this. So um, 
the the way we you know the way developers take advantage of this like shared native runtime that I'm describing um, is by writing pure JavaScript. But for you know, and while we're like adding a lot more APIs to the client all the time, the fact of the matter is that a lot of production applications we're hoping to make this number smaller, but a lot of production applications need to write their own native code. And so we have this thing we call Expo Kit, where you can manage your own native builds and get something that's very, very similar to the Expo client, but that has your native code built in. We also have uh, a service that uses this same concept of kind of the, the shared native runtime to provide something very similar to like JS Fiddle for native mobile apps. And that's called Snack, uh, S-N-A-C-K. And so Snack gives you something basically like a, a JS Fiddle or, or some kind of environment like that. Um, for for React Native, the tech that we built under the hood for Snack is getting currently getting used. It was just announced, I think, a day or two ago. For uh, Repolit, they have like a React Native tool now that we worked with them to build, so that's pretty exciting. What else do we do? I know there's a lot. It's hard to keep track of sometimes, but uh, we're kind of we've got this you know this core technology of like we can live load or we can you know load on the fly your React Native JavaScript, as long as you're using either React Native's core APIs or our APIs. And um, it just runs, right? As long as you're using the, the app. And so this um, enables a lot of really interesting things. Oh, one other thing. Um, this is, I apologize, apologize, not the most like coherent rundown, but the like kind of final stage if you're building an Expo app is we have a build service to give you a package to upload to the App Store or the Play Store with your own like logo, name, et cetera, on it so that users can install your app the way that they would expect to for any other app. So you cannot, you know, go all the way to the to the app stores with uh, with Expo's build service. And then once you have that going, there's some really fun things we can do. Like because we know that only JavaScript has changed between versions of your application, when you publish a new copy of your app, we can update uh, on the clients uh, to enable like bug fixing. This is kind of similar to like what Code Push enables for what I would call like vanilla React Native applications from Microsoft. One nice thing about Expo's uh, update model is, for example, you don't have to worry about whether you're interacting with native code uh, differently or with some new native API when you do the Code Push style thing. Um, so yeah, we're you know, we have this kind of core tech and we're building out a lot of interesting things around it and kind of seeing where it goes and just trying to help developers get really productive and make sure that we cover as many use cases as possible for them so that people can build, you know, really awesome apps. I feel like what Expo does really well is kind of make it easier for people that are web developers or just are new to mobile development period to get into it without getting frustrated and running into a bunch of like issues that they end up spending, you know, hours kind of just fixing these one-off things and then by the time I, they're done with it, they're just kind of fed up. And I think the biggest thing that, I mean, you went over a, a lot of awesome features, but the biggest thing to me is, in my opinion, is like the SDKs, like not having to configure all that stuff off the bat and, and also pushing to the App Store. I, I know I've, I've talked to people that I've just had a nightmare trying to get all of that, those two things configured. So, you know, offering those two things, I don't really know how you all did it, but um, it's pretty huge. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, uh, I hear the same thing from a lot of web developers trying our stuff out, that the web, even if like, for example, mobile performance on the web isn't amazing, it has all of these amazing, you know, elements, right? Especially for developer experience. Um, your stuff is just generally available. Uh, it's going to run no matter, you know, what computer you're on. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you get like live reloading really easily because it's just loading your JavaScript directly. Um, and so we're, you know, kind of trying to like bring the best of the web into native mobile and bring the best of native mobile into Expo, right? For the time being, yeah, the the setup time and the number of APIs that just come out of the box without having to like mess with header search paths or Gradle build steps or any of that is really powerful for people. That said, I do think that you know, it, we're starting work on some of these things. Some of these things have been releasing recently, but I do think that in the future, hopefully we'll see more, more elements of like the SDK specifically, which give you more than you would have if you were running just like your own React Native application, right? Because um, we really want to provide ultimately all of the like native primitives that you'd need to build high quality apps and just JavaScript. So hopefully with time, fingers crossed, um, we'll be able to build out a large enough set of these things that it's not just about getting started, but that it, you know, we really provide a lot of value to, um, to large applications. And I think we're, um, we've been getting there and we're making more, uh, focused effort in that direction too. Um, but it's going to probably going to take us some time before we can fill that role for everyone, you know, on the topic of, uh, getting started quickly and in uh, from a different environment like Windows or uh, or for someone that's not a native developer, are you aware of any companies or organizations that are using uh, Expo as like a teaching tool to help others get in? Mm. Yeah, so um, I've spoken to a few people who have run workshops using Expo. Um, I believe... Uh, at F8, Facebook's developer conference, the um, like at least one of the React Native getting started workshops um, was taught by uh, by Hector, who's Hector Ramos, who's on the open source team for React Native at Facebook. He taught it using Create React Native app, which um, is well, well, Create React Native app is not like strictly speaking expo it does use the expo client so on like on pe people's phones so that was pretty successful as far as i know also uh repl.it replit they have like this online coding environment that is pretty popular in classrooms from what i understand and they are using expo to offer a react native environment for their like online teaching and learning ide that they have i'm sure replit's a lot more than that um so if, if anyone from there is listening, uh, please forgive me for the reductive description. Who else? We've some students in, I want to say, I might be misspeaking here, but I believe some students in one of Harvard's CS50 classes have been using Expo uh, like for some of their projects. I, I don't think it's like an official part of the curriculum or anything, but... So, yeah, I mean, those are just like a few examples, some of the bigger ones, I think. But there we've heard from a lot of people that it's been useful for ramping up existing native devs on React Native or for students who don't have MacBook Pros with Xcode, but who own iPhones. And at least, you know, it's still uh, we're still working to kind of get the word out. But uh, so far, the response has definitely been very positive from people who are in that kind of beginner world trying to wrangle all the build tools and everything. Absolutely. I think it's it's really important uh, to show teams that they can be productive and put UIs together pretty quickly, um, even though they don't know all the build stuff that that stuff can come later. So yeah, I think it's yeah. a, a really, really um, awesome setup. 
I want to follow up to on the components. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of staggered questions, but um, on, on the components. So who do you think is going to build those, um, those missing pieces? Is that, um, is it the React Native core team? Is it the community? Is it a mix of both? So I think, um, okay, well, so for context, right? Uh, the way I tend to think of this is there's kind of like four elements. There's React Native core, which is, you know, um, ostensibly maintained by Facebook, but there are a lot of community contributors as well, right? There's all of these community libraries that you, you know, you run NPM install and then React Native link to use them in your project if you're using vanilla React Native. There's the stuff that we've built in-house. So like Expo has its own permissions API, for example, right? And then this kind of fourth category of all of these modules that we include in our SDK, but are really just us curating uh, open, popular open source native modules. So one example would be React Native SVG or uh, Airbnb's Maps library. Um, we have initial support for Airbnb's Lottie animation library as well, but it's there are some complications and it's not quite stable. So it's like it's in this like danger zone namespace, just to mark it as experimental. Um, and and so the that last category could definitely grow if there turn out to be more popular libraries that integrate well with the like core client. I think we'll definitely continue adding things there. Um, one of the challenges is always that you know there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of kind of magic that goes into making everything play nicely all in the same client app. Um, and so it take, just takes time to integrate those well. And then obviously the stuff that we build internally, we're, we're con- uh, intending to continue to continue building. We have um, had a lot of people ask us about like open source contributions to the client app and to the SDK. And we're trying to, like, so the, the client app and the SDK are open source. They're under, you know, free software licenses available on GitHub, all of our work. Um, on their master branches gets synced out from our internal repository to GitHub. So, you know, before we release, you can probably snoop and see a bunch of things we're working on. But we have, we're not yet, I think, at the point where we have like the resources to manage it as like a truly community project. We're kind of just like pushing forward, building new stuff. Um, but it's definitely on our radar to like involve more community members and and get contributions over time. I think it might just be a little while before we're really pushing for that or or paying paying a lot of a lot of attention to it. It's just been um, it's just been challenging getting to the point we're at right now, you know. Uh, so I think another thing about that that question is that um, if anything, the trend I see. So I've you know uh, I was paying a little bit of attention to React Native before I started at Expo, but my involvement with React Native really started when I started working here. So I don't know the entire history of this, but it does seem to me like Facebook is interested in letting the community adopt, you know, community maintained solutions for a number of areas. So, for example, I believe the the maps library from the core of React Native was recently deprecated, if not removed. I can't remember which which it was off the top of my head, but um, there have been a number of deprecations of libraries that were part of like the core of React Native that are just not getting maintained well and um, and that are getting either deprecated or removed. So I think I would, my expectation, just, you know, totally speculating, um, I don't have any particular information that leads me to think this other than, you know, what I see in like the commit logs. But uh, my speculation is that with time, more libraries will 
or more needs for React Native developers will get addressed by community libraries just because Facebook only has so many developers that they can justify spending on things that aren't needs for them themselves, right? And so the easiest way to address that is for the community to build these things. And obviously, over time, as winners show up and as needs get addressed that are really uh, painful for our users, we will try and find ways to incorporate more of those community libraries into, into the SDK as well. Awesome. One follow-up on that. I want to um, hone in on that second set of components, the ones that were you installed and then you um, ran uh, React Native Link mm-hmm. to to link the libraries. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Expo doesn't, um, if you have an Expo project, you're not able to use uh, any linked uh, modules until mm-hmm. you you do the, you know, the X, uh, eject. Expo kit. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. What is the plan there? If you're a, if you have any information, um, mm-hmm. is the plan to continue to add more that are supported? Because I do know there are a few that are supported, um, mm-hmm. like React Native vector icons mm-hmm. and um, uh, a really awesome library called React Native Elements, uh, mm-hmm. and um, those are uh, those are supported um, mm-hmm. by Expo. Um, but what what do you guys see the trend for other apps? You know, because you can you're kind of limited to what you can do. Without mm-hmm. uh, without adding a bunch of uh, or certain components that uh, I'm sorry modules that need to be linked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's this is a very hard question because um, there's a lot of things to kind of keep in balance, right? On the one hand, uh, we want to provide all of the tools to build really good apps in just JavaScript. Um, we also want to make sure that the binary size of Expo stays pretty reasonable for people who are staying in just the JavaScript world, right? Um, and so we want to make sure that the the things we provide are really core and um, couldn't be done without some native code, right? Because obviously there's a lot you can do with JavaScript. Some of that is uh, just kind of incidental. Like right now, the only person who has a library to do this did it in native code. Some of it is essential right like you just can't do native camera access without some native code right so there's a lot to balance there there's also i think probably the more limiting factor for us right now is just having people who are really knowledgeable with the core internals of how the client app works who have the time to do the integration work right um i think long term kind of what what I hope for at least, and I'm sure some of my coworkers do, but this isn't like an official party stance or anything. But my hope is that with time, we will figure out the right native abstractions, these like primitives that can be used in a generic way to implement libraries for reuse in JavaScript, right? Um, So I think like one really good example of this has been um, work done around animations, right? So this, uh, the, uh, can, the, is it animated or animation that the, the component that made it into like react native core, um, I think is a really good example of like having some kind of generic API that lets you do a lot of different things from JavaScript. And so then, you know, you can include that native code once for all of these different projects, and then people can do all of this interesting work on top of it in JavaScript. Another example with animation is like Lottie, right? It has this very expressive, API that is that lives in native, but you can do so much from the JavaScript side. And so over time, you know, uh, I think we kind of hope to 
to get more and more APIs and components like that available to the point where we're covering, you know, larger and larger percentages of people's needs. Um, but I do think that to some extent there's just, you know, like if you want to on Android only directly read from the SIM card as like a byte stream, right. Um, or from an SD card without like going through the Android file system APIs or whatever, then you're just, you know, there are certain things that we aren't ever going to be able to expose securely to JavaScript in a cross-platform way, right? Because that's an, that that last element is really critical for us. You know, the one of the things that that it really inspired Charlie to work on this project, as far as I know, is you know when he was working on mobile teams before syncing up Android and iOS teams to like hit the same features with the same look and feel, um, and fixing the same bugs was like this massive, massive expense. And so a big, a big driver for us is being cross-platform. Um, so anyways, if you have needs that aren't filled by cross-platform APIs or that, you know, require super low level hardware access, I think it'd be really great if we had some solution to that someday. But, um, I think we're, you know, kind of worrying about the bigger bulk of stuff that most native developers run into right now. So you mentioned a lot of components being within Expo, but then mm -hmm. potentially ones that, you know, may not make it for a variety of reasons. What does that process look like? You know, how do you decide uh, we we definitely need this or, you know, maybe we should pass? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I should preface this by saying I'm not actually uh, in most of those conversations because I work on our developer tools mostly. Um, but my understanding is that's kind of just a, it's a constantly revisited conversation about what we have the bandwidth to work on, um, what uh, our users are asking for, um, and what kind of work would be needed to build the feature that people are asking for. Um, and we're just trying to move down the list and knock them out as they come up. Awesome. Now, when you do have you know, when you are sort of like considering one of those things, mm -hmm. do you ever like go out to the community and find some, I know there's like React Native vector icons, for example, mm -hmm. but are there like other, you know, like examples of, you know, components built into Expo that are actually maintained by the community? Yeah. So um, I'm going to pull up the docs actually, because I'm going to misspeak if I do this for purely from memory. So SVG, which we offer, is our vendored copy of React Native SVG. Uh, map view comes from Airbnb's React Native Maps. Uh, let's see. I believe the Facebook Ads library is actually just the Facebook Ads SDK. I'm clicking around randomly, so I'm definitely going to miss some. Oh, Amplitude, for example, which we offer for like people who want to build an analytics within the client. Um, that's using their iOS and Android SDKs. What else in here? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't work on the SDK day to day, so I'm sure there's some that I'm missing, but those are like the more common examples. Um, we definitely do rely on community code when when feasible. Um, there have been a, a few instances. I, I only know this vaguely. I can't. I don't know the specific example is, but there have been a couple of instances where there's a community library for some some task, and that um, it it uh, doesn't integrate cleanly with the client app for some reason, and you know, in some cases, we've been able to uh, upstream things that make it more immutable or in some other cases, um, been able to, like, maintain a small fork or whatever. But, you know, it's kind of getting all of this code to play together nicely in a redistributable runtime is 
kind of complex, you know, and uh, not, it doesn't it doesn't always work as as expected, but we usually do go first to see what community implementations are like. Yeah. And I know you work on the tooling team, so are, yeah, and obviously you can't talk about everything, but mm-hmm. what are you super excited about releasing over the next couple of weeks or months or, you know, like mm. even even if it's like small things, you know? Yeah. So um, let's see what what's coming up that I'm excited about. So I don't know if Brent, uh, Brent Batney, who's on the team, um, I don't know if he's published this yet, but he's been working on integrating Sentry source map support with our publish process so that when you go to like upload your Expo app, um, you can automatically upload directly to Sentry at the same time um, so that you always have like Sentry crash reporting with source map support for your production version of your application. That's really exciting. Um, I also... Uh, I know there's been a lot of work going into like the audio API, um, which I think will be really good. We've had a lot of users come to us and talk about um, integrating support for sound files or just building a music player like as a learning exercise. Or um, I was at, you know, a meetup recently and was talking to someone who wanted they wanted to build like a companion app for another like social application they work on that had like a, a music and audio element. Um, and so that API is becoming increasingly mature. And I think the next SDK release is going to have a bunch of improvements there. What else? I'm pretty excited about some of the improvements we've been starting to work on on the uh, build service. It's very early days for some of them, but I personally have a lot invested in it because I uh, get pinged when there are problems with it. So we expect that to be improving in stability soon. We've been sketching out plans for that. That's um, I'm pretty pretty excited about that. Uh, let's see what else is in the pipeline. There's been a bunch of really good bug fixes in some of the developer tools. Yeah, I don't know. It's, there's so much happening. I'm having a, a not particularly inspired moment right now but i think there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up <laughs> i think if anyone's keeping up with expo it's hard to keep up with all this stuff you guys are doing there's just so much it seems like every day i hear or see something yeah we're uh we're trying to, to keep it moving and keep figuring out what people want and um keep giving what giving them what they're asking for you know so i guess this kind of piggybacks off of the last question but where do you kind of see expo headed over the next couple of years i know that's kind of a very um, broad and general long-term question, but is there, you know, any feedback at all would be, I'm sure pretty interesting mm. to hear. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we just want to make developing react native applications like as awesome as possible. And obviously we want to be a part of that for as many people as possible because, you know, we think that we have a lot of value to add, but I think, you know, the next, next couple of years, I don't know. I, I think hopefully we'll see a lot more API surface in the client app and the SDK. Um, I think that's that's like one of the top things that people ask for. So I imagine that over the next year or two, that's going to continue getting built out uh, a lot, right? We launched a new website a little while ago, and we're starting to pay much more attention to the to the web presence. So I think, you know, um, we have a bunch of exciting things in the near future with the website and like providing a more cohesive experience for people. But also in the long term, I expect to I expect us to focus more on providing, you know, good services on, through our website for people to to monitor 
their releases and their profile. And, you know, I'm sure at some point we will be getting around to building support for teams and permissions and all these things that people need. Um, but, you know, aside from like the implementation stuff that I, we all know we want to build soon, um, I don't know what's, you know, what we're going to be like a couple of years from now. Um, hopefully similar in a number of ways, but I'm sure it'll be completely different. Uh, and I think that's, you know, we operate slightly differently than your typical startup, um, but we're still a startup. You know, I think we're focused on doing the right things in the next week, month, six months. It's really hard to think about what's two years out. You know, ideally, we've done a good job. And a couple of years from now, we uh, have a lot of really happy users. I think that's like where I see us. So I guess a question that I've, I've been thinking about as you add API service and as React Native changes and as these other platforms that we're building abstractions on top of are changing, like iOS and Android, like how are y'all keeping up with all this stuff? I know that um, I'm sure that over the, over the last couple of years, you've learned um, certain you know ways and, and hacks and things like that to kind of be more efficient. But uh, do you plan on like growing the team or is it, it going to be a more of a efficiency game that you guys are going to kind of use to kind of keep up with everything that's going on? Uh, I would say yes to all of the above. So, um, you know, we are like, as part of launching the website, we did launch a little jobs page. So we are looking to grow the team, but I think we're probably looking to do so very carefully because so far a lot of the progress we made has been about efficiency. So we're also very, attentive to making sure that um, we don't have a lot of like overhead uh, and a lot of distraction in terms of like how to keep up with react natives changing apis well you know we have three people on the team who either are actively or have been at some point uh, pretty active core contributors to react native honestly keeping up with those apis involves a lot of elbow grease but that's you know i when you are building something for other developers to use, a lot of the time you just, you know, you do it once so that N people can benefit from it instead of N people having to all do it as well. Right. And the, you know, the system APIs, I, I don't think there's, there's anything to that, that other native development shops aren't having to deal with in terms of, you know, trying out betas, reading announcements, et cetera. We have a couple of very talented native devs on our team who, who head up the, the, the client app, uh, development and so they keep on top of all of that. I think ultimately one of the one of the nice things about keeping up with the fast pace of change is that it's much easier for people who do it for their job to do it than for developers out trying to make their app to do it. And that's I think one of the nicer things about what we provide. If you know if I was working at um, at a shop that was maintaining some large React Native application, it would be you know, I could keep up with all of this and it would benefit my employer's application. And we do the we do the catch up work here and keep up with all the changing APIs and keep an eye on what's happening in the ecosystem. And, you know, however many people are using our platform all get to benefit from those improvements. Right. So it's I think it's not so much a matter of tricks as a matter of keeping our eye on the ball and being diligent and and remembering how many people we serve by doing that well, you know? So what is one of your favorite, or you, you can p share a couple, uh, exponent apps mm. that people could, mm. uh, 
could look at uh, for reference of what's possible right now via yeah. exponent. Or, I'm yeah. Sorry, expo. Yeah. So the kind of canonical example that we all cite, because it's got a whole bunch of users these days, is this app called List, li.st. They they build an iPhone app, and we worked with them to build the Android app on on Expo. So if you're on an Android phone, you can open the the List app um, from the Play Store. That's a pretty good example. Although I think um, it's from a, a slightly older SDK version now, so it doesn't show off all of the amazing features. There's actually a list. Let me see if I can find it here. It's called Awesome Expo, and I think it's probably not amazingly up to date, but yeah, it's at github.com expo slash awesome dash expo. Um, and there's uh, there's a whole list in here. So there's this carpooling app designed for students called Pool that one of our community members built. It looks pretty cool. I haven't uh, haven't used it end to end, but I've played around with it. It looks great. There are a couple of React Native applications that we built or that we ported um, to run on Expo because they didn't have any native code like this movie app, which is pretty cool. There are a lot of excellent like production applications, but they all, uh, the ones that I am thinking of right now are for a number of like services. So there, you know, we have some partners who built some really great stuff, but they're like part of their paid service. There's this company called Spin, and they're doing um, bike sharing, and they in Austin right now, I believe, to start. But they are built with Expo, and they actually like interact over an API to some like Bluetooth or some other like IoT device that attaches to their bikes, so they can track the the bikes and the bike sharing program. I think I know Brent's gonna kill me because he could probably think of like 50 bajillion example applications off the top of his head. But we have that we have that repo with a bunch of examples and. I think pretty soon here we should have a few listed on the website as well. So I actually have one question about one of the apps that you guys had, and uh, I don't see it in there right now, um, but there was an app called Floaty Plane. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How on earth do you play that? Because I crash every single time. So I I know I'm not the only one. So like, uh, I I feel like this would be a great time uh, to explain (laughs) how on earth to play the thing. Um, It's hard. So I'm totally kidding. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it hasn't been ported over to use our OpenGL stuff yet. Um, but I think if, if it were running on OpenGL instead of, um, I think they're SVG elements or something, uh, it would probably be a slightly higher frame rate and slightly easier to play. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's kind of in the vein of those flappy bird games. Right. And I, uh, I think it's meant to be just, downright impossible i have uh i've not scored even a single point on it i don't think but you know i'm I'm not exactly uh the fastest reflex person in the world right yeah the same here and i i don't feel bad um i thought i was missing something (laughs) like super obvious about it so and that was one of the first like uh the first demos that they had on the store Um, right yeah, uh, not uh, I'm sorry, in Expo itself. So right. Oh, th- thank you for reminding me. I, that, I know that wasn't in your intent, but I uh, was just reminded that there's the the featured tab of the Expo app itself. I'm sure that has a ton of things. In fact, if I pull out my phone, I'm sure that has a, at least a couple of things I didn't mention. Let's see what's on the featured tab. I feel super lame having to reference to this, but 
Yeah, so there's the native component list, which is just kind of like a bare bones example of all of these different components and APIs that we provide in the client. So you can see a lot of what you can build there. The React Conf app from from this year was um, was built in technically in regular React Native, but they didn't use any native code. So it was very simple to get it up and running on Expo, as far as I know. Uh, and then also Brent has this Growler Prowler app that's um, like a map view with some structured data, and you can browse around to various uh, microbreweries in Vancouver where he lives uh, that serve growlers. And there's like a search there, and you can you know poke around too. But this is actually one thing that's been really growing in the last few months for us is all of this community involvement and lots of examples and things like that. And you know we're still a pretty small team, so we haven't done the the best job we could of curating all of them and having like a go-to list. But um, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Uh, I see stuff scroll through Slack almost every day. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat. I didn't, you know, I never thought of doing that. Or it's a really nice UI that this, this person built. Um, there's a lot of demos getting shared on like the React Native community group on Facebook, the Facebook group. There's a, a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. So I, I would be um, probably uh, shunned. Probably not. Um, <laughs> but if I didn't ask about uh, navigation, um, yeah. <laughs> so so taking people um, through through what's happened in the past couple of years yeah. um, in, in a short 10 second span, uh, Facebook released React Native with mixed acceptance of Navigator solutions and the community rallied around and built some solutions. And one of those solutions was X Navigation, which I was a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And now that effort has been um, it, it's still uh, it, the repo is still there, but I believe um, there may even be a note on the readme pointing people to uh, kind of a de facto um, React navigation mm-hmm. that uh, was re- was released this year and is still in beta. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, what can you tell us about um, the uh, navigation um, of, uh, uh, components of choice or solution mm-hmm. of choice for uh, exponent uh, now and going forward? Yeah, so um, I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention, like, in addition to these libraries, there's been a massive proliferation of other people trying to to solve this problem for their particular use case or for some set of them. Um, One really cool example of that, uh, so I know Wix has a library that a lot of people use, and also um, Airbnb recently open-sourced their, like, Swift-based native navigation so that if you're integrating React Native into a larger app, you can use this to kind of have what are they call them shared element transitions. So you can transition between React Native and pure native screens um, really, really seamlessly. Oh, you guys can't see any of the amazing hand gestures I'm making, can you? Um, that's unfortunate. So anyways, back to your, your, your question. X navigation is, it's not getting very actively maintained. It was pretty popular for a lot of people. My understanding is that there were a few architectural decisions made so the history of X navigation, if I remember correctly, I'm, I, I might be misspeaking here, but my, if I remember correctly, it was kind of extracted from a larger project. And so some of the architectural decisions that were made for X navigation uh, were dependent on architectural decisions that have been made for this larger project. And um, those meant that just certain uses were not feasible, right? Uh, and so kind of that's when I think at some point this was realized before I started working on Expo's stuff and uh, it was decided to start working on React Navigation. 
his name is Skevy, as far as I'm concerned. And Skevy, if, if you listen to this, I so apologize. He's my neighbor. I like I should know how to pronounce his last name. I feel terrible. Uh, worked on React Navigation and promptly got totally dragged into a bunch of stuff to work on an expo. Skevy has historically been in charge of a bunch of our like infrastructure and backend services, so our deployment tools for our website and our web application, um, and has been very distracted. And very recently um, has uh, been freed up to work on a number of projects like React Navigation. Um, so my understanding, and uh, I can't make any promises for him, but my understanding is that one of the people who's responsible for a lot of the code in React Navigation is going to be rededicating a large portion of his time to it in the pretty near future, um, which will hopefully, I think, push it closer to being ready for production for more people. I think the beta moniker, as I understand it, is more it, in that it, it has rough support for some things that people might want to do, not necessarily that it's beta across the board. So I think they plan to build out some new functionality and there's been a bunch of open source people contributing to it. So I think, um, I actually think that the future free act navigation could be pretty bright here. Um, we care a lot about it here because of a few reasons. It's pure JavaScript, which aligns with what we think is kind of the ideal way to build react native applications. It's born out of multiple iterations of attempting to kind of get this right. And it's already gotten pretty popular, uh, even though it's beta and hasn't had as much work on it as I think a lot of people involved would like. So I think it gets a lot of the things right. And hopefully in the near future with, uh, with Skevy, um, returning to work on it, uh, at least in the, uh, in the short and medium term, um, it'll be, uh, it'll be a pretty good go-to choice. But I also think, you know, stepping back a little bit and maybe I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but stepping back a little bit, one of the things that like tires people out about the JavaScript ecosystem is all this churn and the kind of the blessed or de facto ways of doing things changing all the time. But I, I will say that a lot of times that process of iteration, the stuff that comes out of that is really great. So I think, you know, it's pretty likely that all of these different navigation libraries that have proliferated have surfaced a lot of really great uh, knowledge and ways of doing things. And I think hopefully in the near future, we'll see that part of the ecosystem kind of settle out a little bit. That said, I'm not directly involved with those projects. So this is just, you know, me kind of spitballing. But I, it, the general trend I see is, is towards more acceptance of a few popular solutions. And I think that'll be really good. Yeah, I agree. I think I see the same thing happening in different parts of the ecosystem of JavaScript. Like a couple of years ago uh, or a year ago, whenever we were seeing all these new frameworks pop up like left and right. But now we've kind of seen that die off because we've had a few very solid frameworks that people have kind of gravitated towards that have done really well. And they're, they're lasting long term. People are building really awesome stuff using them. So now the need for, you know, creating a bunch of new things is kind of slowed down a little bit. People are still doing it, but not so much. And then I think like you just said, uh, the navigation and other, and other things like, you know, we're, uh, we were in the middle of it and now we're kind of seeing it settle down. And when, when everything settles down, we're seeing these high quality, you know, things come out, come out of all this that we're able to use. And it, uh, it, it's kind of frustrating to go through at the time, but what's come out of it has been amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think React Native is, you know, it's coming up on uh, a couple years since its public release. And 
um, however long it was uh, around before that internally. But it's definitely, and I think in, in a number of ways, it's kind of hitting its stride. More, more larger, more conservative development shops are picking it up, which I think both applies kind of this, you know, need for a little more stability and more, you know, more of these blessed solutions to kind of emerge. Um, but it also is kind of a sign that like people who are normally very conservative about their technology choices are now feeling like this has kind of iterated enough and, and hit enough of hit enough of uh, a good place or a good stable place um, that they can rely on it. And so um, I definitely think that uh, that's at least for me a really exciting thing to be seeing because it's often a sign that things are about to become significantly more popular. So yeah, I want to say just in response to the navigation, uh, I've been using React Navigation for a few months now, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a ton of of that polish that's mm-hmm. in React Navigation that you know um, it feels like it's something that's been iterated on for quite a while, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's a, a a nice way to uh, educate more web developers that are coming over, myself included. Um, when I started dealing with navigation and mobile navigation, it was completely new to me that there was this stack-based concept. And what's nice about React Navigation is that um, it embraces both. So it it has that uh, composability. It has the um, it brings you along into the uh, stack navigation concept pretty quickly, pretty early on. I think it's it's one of the first or second items uh, there. I mean, they actually it's the first thing they. They say that everything's a stack. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's huge, in my opinion, because that right there gives you that entry into it. So I really feel that uh, everyone that's worked on it has kind of taken all the, the lessons learned um, throughout all the different projects and, um, and applied it here. So I would highly encourage people to use it. Um, just be, uh, keep in mind that there may be something that's not complete and um, it's OK to, you know, uh, submit a pull request Um they're, oh, they're yeah. very active and uh, I've seen a lot of things in, in, you know, the few months that I've used it, a lot of things, you know, be updated pretty quickly. There's still a lot of hard problems to solve, but I've seen a number of hard problems closed pretty quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a great, a great community. I'm, I'm super excited. The other thing I wanted to mention in relation, and I believe, um, I believe it was Eric Vicente that did a, uh, a video on, uh, YouTube related to React navigation, and I know I'm going to butcher it. I, I believe it's um, uh, talking about native navigation. Native navigation, yeah. Yep. He did a video on there, and the neat thing was that so he was experimenting with pointing the. Basically, you would you would ultimately take advantage of the native animations that go on with like the header for for the demo that he showed. So mm-hmm. um, instead of instead of trying to go down a descriptive uh, butchering of what he did, I'll just make that one of my picks and people can watch it. So, but it's uh, it's very encouraging that if you use the uh, React Navigation's API to build things that. Uh, once they have the ability to hook into um, native navigation, mm-hmm. uh, then they can do so with uh, what he showed was a, a, a short amount of code. I think he, I think it was maybe over just over 150 lines. So yeah, that was a really it was a really nice demo. I agree. Yeah. Um, I also know that uh, the React Router folks have been uh, thinking a lot more about doing navigation on on mobile, um, and I think it's 
uh, my understanding is they've taken a pretty different approach to what React Navigation is doing. But um, I think, you know, it, it's yet another example of like a few really well thought through approaches um, starting to starting to emerge. Um, I think it's all it's all really exciting. So I have a question uh, and then we're going to kind of want to go into a little more um, of a long term talk about React Native and then we'll probably wrap it up. But if someone creates like a module or a React Native plugin, what can they do to make it work with Expo? Mm. That's a really good question. Uh, and I, I don't have, have an exact, exact answer to that because I don't work on that day to day. But um, I know uh, we've been co- kind of collecting some notes that we hopefully will um, be able to release at some point if that continues to be productive. Um, kind of, it's uh, it's a lot of things, right? So there's uh, there's some tech that has to be able to um, look at like the function names in um, in a module, right? And uh, so it's kind of challenging, for example, to include like C plus plus code uh, because of as as I understand it at least the way that it integrates with um, with JNI for the Java native interface. Uh, that said, I I know that at least React Native has it, so you know maybe that's not a deal breaker. Um, I think probably the best thing for me to do is to say I am going to suggest this as a blog post uh, to the the native uh, client devs since I've been working so much on our developer tools lately. Um, and I will ping them and let them know that if they have collected thoughts, that they should uh, write a document about it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I would totally be interested in checking that out. I'm working on a couple of things. And I know um, we've worked with uh, React Native Elements. And um, yeah, I think that would just be an awesome thing to have out there for people yeah, to look at. Yeah, no promises, of course, because you know we've all got a lot on our plates. But I'll definitely uh, chat them up about it. So a few weeks ago, you and Brent were on Software Engineering Daily. And um, anybody that's listening, I would totally recommend checking that uh, episode out. Of course, that entire podcast is amazing. But that episode in particular, if you're interested. But um, I know you talked a little bit about the future of React Native. I think that might be a cool thing to kind of end this episode on and just kind of get your personal thoughts on where um, where cross-platform development in general, I guess, is headed and how React Native plays into that. And also things like React Native Primitives, React Native Web, React XP, and uh, Reason, and how all of that kind of ties in, in your opinion. Mm. I know that's pretty yeah. broad. Yeah, it's pretty broad. I mean, I think everyone kind of thinks of the whole idea of writing your application once and running it anywhere um, as kind of this like holy grail, right? Well, not everyone thinks of it that way, but a lot of people do. Uh, it's what like Java originally promised back in the day and delivered to some extent. Um, and it's really attractive uh, to, to everyone. I think what interests so the, the particular thing about all of these initiatives, um, specifically like React Primitives, React Native Web, React XP, uh, what particularly interests me is that um, with React and React Native, there's the possibility to um, 
to build these cross-platform UIs somewhat more granularly, right? So for example, one thing that I am really excited about in the React Native or the React world in general is um, the the renderer for React to go from React components to Sketch app, like views or documents, right? So that you have, you know, your code can generate the uh, the UI like toolkit that your designers work with, right? Um, and similarly, I think the the idea behind efforts like React Primitives to me is most exciting because it means that companies might be able to have shared JavaScript between different platforms, right? Um, one thing that I'm not yet sold 100% on um, is the idea of building an entire application and having it run everywhere because you know you have uh, you have a bunch of different places that React Native can run, right? You have um, Android and iOS, of course. Microsoft has also been really diligent and amazing in maintaining their open source universal Windows platform target for React Native. Um, I believe that there are some people who run React Native on Apple's like tvOS, which of course doesn't have a touch-based interface paradigm at all. It's all like menus, right? Where you click around with, with a D-pad, if I remember correctly. You have uh, people using React Native or tinkering with it for VR. Um, and that's a very different paradigm for interaction as well. So I think like, I, th I think all of these, all of these tools and build systems and uh, shared libraries are really, really interesting to me um, from the perspective of enabling projects and companies to share uh, more code between projects. But I personally would be really surprised if in the very near future we saw like a write, 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 write once run everywhere project that actually worked for the majority of applications. I think there are a lot of applications for which it could work, but um, you know, like one, one example that I've uh, you know, talked to people about is like the navigation paradigms, right? This is something that keeps coming up in React Native. The web um, frequently operates on this like URL based, this like path based navigation paradigm. Um, mobile because of the existing like native expectations, but then also because of like the, the tools that the platform vendors give you and also just like the way the gestures feel to your hands, right? Um, work really well with this whole stack-based navigation paradigm or cards or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and so that's like one thing that I think is going to be really hard to bridge the gap on and have like a really truly universal 100% shared code between web and mobile type world. But um, it doesn't have to be 100% code to be really awesome, in my opinion, at least. It, you know, it's, uh, heck, even sharing 10% of your code between web and mobile would be a massive improvement over the status quo for most companies. And so the closer we get to 100%, awesome. So I'm, I'm personally really excited about uh, React XP, React Primitives, React Native Web, I think all of those projects are pushing forward in a really important direction for the React ecosystem. As far as uh, what was the other one you mentioned, Reason? I, I, you know, so anyone who knows me knows that I am like totally pro static types. Um, a lot of the time, at least, not always. But uh, you know, before I was working uh, 
on the stuff I'm doing here at Expo. I worked um, a decent bit in the Rust open source community. So, uh, and Rust and Reason kind of have a shared heritage. Rust was originally implemented in OCaml and it shares many ideas for the language with OCaml. Um, Reason, of course, is essentially under the hood still OCaml. It's a bunch of things on top of OCaml as well, but you know, it, I think it's pretty cool. I think making it more accessible to JavaScript developers in terms of the syntax they've chosen is fantastic. Um, I am immensely excited about having React bindings for Reason, where you know you could potentially build like native binary code in Reason, and then also compile it for the web with React components uh, or for React Native with React components. I saw Ken Wheeler tweeting a couple days ago or yesterday about uh, writing an Expo app with Reason, I, which I need to message him and ask him to publish whatever sort of dark magic he performed to get them all talking together nicely. But I think that's really exciting. I suspect though that. In terms of the future of React Native, I don't know, I kind of think of React Native as like this, at, at its core, React Native is this bridge, right? That lets you run JavaScript in a separate thread from where you're rendering and pass messages back and forth between the render thread and other threads in your application, right? And it provides a lot of really great components to make useful applications with that bridge. Um, and using React and React's uh, rendering paradigm and the way it controls state, um, it is made even better, I think. But that ultimately, you know, whether you're writing TypeScript, JavaScript with types, Elm, I don't know if anyone has Elm bindings for React Native yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are. Uh, ClojureScript, which we have a few users who have been using ClojureScript. Um, Reason with using BuckleScript, uh, like... A, you know, the, the language that you use on top of React Native, which is just, you know, at, at its real core, this like native to JavaScript bridge and all of and this the React paradigm on top of that. I think it's it's all gravy. You know, I think it's fantastic for people to use languages that suit their uh, their development style and the way their team works um, that, you know, for to have a bunch of different options for people to pick the right trade offs for their application. Um, so I'm really excited about that too. Um, I, you know, I don't know if Reason is going to represent any sort of like fundamental shift in the React Native world in the next little while, but I could be completely wrong. And I honestly would be pretty excited if it did just take over the world by storm because that's, you know, I like very typeful development that lets the computer yell at me and tell me about things I'm doing wrong. Not everyone does, but I really like it. Um, and so I think it'd be fantastic if it got more popular. In fact, I'm giving a talk soon about why you should use more types in JavaScript. Um, so I think that's that's a really promising frontier. What else is happening in React Native that's exciting? I don't know. I think the stuff that excites me most right now is the, the people who are able to build applications who weren't able to before um, because they're using Expo or React Native or some combination, right? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool to be talking to like a workshop organizer and, you know, ask them how it went. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so installed their first text editor and now they're using React Native. And that's like, oh my God, that's, you know, that's amazing. Um, I just can't. That's so crazy. I, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine that happening with the Android Studio and Xcode suites, right? Like not that they're bad tools, they're immensely powerful tools for professionals, but I just can't picture that happening with 
the current status quo from old development. So it's, it's so exciting to me that like, it's just opening up all these new frontiers for people. And I think that as long as that continues, I think the future of React Native is going to be pretty bright. It's almost like what we're seeing is like, so JavaScript is, is being compiled right to some other lower level languages to actually run in your browser or wherever you're running it. And it feels like we're seeing like another layer layers of abstraction, you know, with JSX and React Native and Expo, we're like, we're seeing these new layers evolve and even reason is like almost like another layer, right? Because it's kind of like compiling, you know, a couple of times before it reaches JavaScript. I'm wondering in a couple of years if we're going to like not be writing real JavaScript anymore. <laughs> or I mean, or we're not even really writing JavaScript now. I mean, really, I mean, because we're, we're compiling it through Webpack and Babel. We're like doing all these crazy things that aren't even in the spec. I mean, that seems to be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the the term real JavaScript is pretty loaded, in my opinion, right? Because there's been multiple versions of the spec, different browsers from different vendors at different points in time have implemented different versions of JavaScript. You know, as far as I know, like TC39 often takes language proposals and builds them as Babel plugins to try them out first. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't I don't know exactly what I would call real JavaScript exactly, but um JavaScript without any modifiers attached is definitely getting more diverse in the ways that people write it and the tool chains that they use and the platforms that they target. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think like we're sort of getting to the point where we've, we've like figured out all like a lot of the patterns as a community and we're building tools to make it easier for us. You know, like, like I, I grew up in like, the 90s too as like a web developer you know i was like you know same idea geocities angel fire mm -hmm. whatever you know those were all like you know php includes and you know just an index.html and javascript for css hovers you know mm -hmm. uh and now it's like oh yeah we're building all these apps but it's like hey let you know like let's take a step back and uh take a look that you know 70 percent of the apps like I'll have like a list view, you know, like I'll do this, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. so we can, you know, like, let's just do something to make that easier. And then let's take it down a level, you know, let's make it a lower level component that's, you know, performance. So anybody can use it without having to worry about it too much. Yeah. I think uh, Cheng Lu talked about this in his talk at ReactConf of like, once you identified the good abstractions, you want to like abstractions have a cost associated like or some runtime cost, right? So you want to like push them down a layer in your system so that the the runtime cost can be, you know, optimized in some way, right? Um, I think like React Native is an excellent example of that exact process at, at play. And I suspect that with time, we'll see more things headed in that direction for the JavaScript world. But who knows? Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and jump to the picks. Peter, do you have any picks tonight? So my pick for the week is uh, a awesome React component that my buddy just released called Polen, which basically means fetch in German. It's like a declarative like fetch module. You can pass in your own component like uh, Axios or Unfetch or whatever. Uh, it's super small, super easy to use, uh, and it's really, really fast. Can you spell that? Because I wasn't sure how, uh, if it was, was it Polen? Oh, Holen, H-O-L-E-N. My bad. Holen. Okay, cool. Uh, Kevin, do you have any picks? 
Yeah. So the uh, video and blog post that I mentioned by Eric Vicente, uh, playing with React Navigation and Airbnb's native navigation. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but he uh, kind of recaps uh, what he's doing in the blog post. And then he's got a, a demo that's about 10 minutes showing the uh, React navigation syntax uh, being tied to native navigation and a the, the, uh, little bit of code that he does to make that happen. So um, and, and what's interesting is it's all JavaScript. So definitely watch that. My second pick uh, is related to navigation as well. I found a repo um, not too long ago that compared both React Navigation and React Native Navigation libraries in one repo. So if you wanted to see the same example written in both solutions uh, today, you could do that. And then the last pick I have is React Native WK WebView. So What's interesting about this is that it's a drop-in replacement for uh, the WebView component, which um, is actually uh, less performant than the WK WebView. So I'll, I'll let the README explain it in the GitHub. But if you're using, if you're doing anything with WebViews, or you need to do some computation on some JavaScript in a WebView, you would want to use this particular WK WebView that runs in the WK Web Kit, I believe is is the um, the newer solution, I guess, from iOS 8 or 9 and higher. So uh, those are my picks. Adam, do you have any picks? My pick is Repolit, uh, their new React Native environment for live editing and running React Native code in Expo. I think it's pretty cool. It's uh, Repl, like read, eval, print, loop, R-E-P-L dot it, I-T, and then slash site slash React underscore native. All right. I have quite a few picks. I'm going to try to run through them as fast as possible. Uh, the first is a new plugin that someone put out a few days ago called React Native Syntax Highlighter by Connor Hastings. He also has React Syntax Highlighter. Um, it's really cool because I am creating curriculum for React Native training. And for the, uh, with this, it's really easy to kind of put code snippets in actual React Native app. So if you want to create any type of app using React Native and kind of show any type of code without having to write a bunch of styling, it's a really, really nice plugin. So check that out. Um, the second pick is um, I'm going to be uh, working with AWS Cloud to create a React Native slash AWS like starter project to kind of get started with some of their services. Um, Ionic just put one out um, recently that is really nice. So check theirs out and um Keep on the lookout for the one I'm going to be putting out. The last is uh, a project that I released on Friday, the, uh, the first Friday of May, called Create XP App. It's a really um, easy way to get get started with uh, with React XP. It's similar to uh, Create React App or Create React Native App, um, and this is for XP, which is the Microsoft uh, XP, which lets you run iOS, you know, Android, Windows. It's a different syntax than regular React Native. Um, it's my first time um, writing a CLI, so um, it's a, it's pretty basic. Um, and, and I was using Commander for the first time, which is really cool. Um, and I'm going to be adding a lot of features to it. But for right now, it just basically creates a general scaffolding with everything you need to do to get started there. I'm hoping to write a blog post about creating CLIs with Commander because um, I couldn't really find a whole lot out there, even though there's a lot of stuff about Commander. But... Um, I know the uh, hot thing right now is kind of creating these CLIs. So I think a blog post on that might be helpful. So stay on the lookout for that. Exciting. 
Awesome. Adam, thanks so much for coming on, man. I think we covered a lot of stuff and everybody listening is going to get a lot out of this and you spent a lot of time with us. So I appreciate your time. No, thank you so much for your guys' time. Thank you so much for having me. Real pleasure. Definitely. So that wraps up this episode of React Native Radio. Thanks for listening. Um, Next week, I'm going to be at Microsoft Build. I'm going to be interviewing Adam Wolf from Facebook and a few other awesome people. So we're probably going to be putting out like three or four episodes um, from Microsoft Build. So stay on the lookout for those and thanks for listening.